You know things are bad for Republicans when Republicans are telling other Republicans, stay away from Republicans. <laughs> From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. Out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster. Out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Up in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And coast to coast and around the world, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and Blanketing the Globe, five days a week on Radio Sputnik. Thank you for joining us for another action-packed, thrilling adventure that we call the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, an all-around swell fellow since 2004 from bradblog.com. Says you. Says me. That's only when I became swell was in 2004. Other than that, uh, not so swell. Anyway, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, coming up, uh, finally, a bit of good news concerning these Republican photo ID restrictions that I have been talking about for so long. Uh, some good news in at least one state, long overdue even as voting right advocates continue to seek emergency relief from the U.S. Supreme Court in another state. In, in both of those states, the Republican laws were found to violate the Voting Rights Act and the U.S. Constitution, and yet the laws continue to be in place. So how is it that these laws continue to stay in place despite being found by court after court that they violate the law. We will speak shortly with Bradblog.com's legal analyst Ernie Canning about the uh, about the two new developments in uh, in the cases against these horrible uh, voting restrictions in both Wisconsin and Texas. Uh, we've got some other election-related news coming up momentarily as voters in New York are heading to the polls. On Tuesday for that state's big presidential primary election. And there are some folks, some Democrats, some Sanders supporters specifically, who have a number of concerns. I will talk about those concerns. I've got some details and some insights on them uh, and more momentarily. But first, we had uh, quite a bit of breaking news over the weekend. Desi Doyen. Oh, hello, Desi Doyen. Hello. Our producer does. Um uh, some breaking news, uh, well, some tragic news and some, I guess, financial news. Let's go with the, the, the tragedy first. We had earthquakes both in, big earthquakes, both in Japan and in Ecuador. 
and that appears to be where the uh, the worst of the damage was in Ecuador. Right. It was much, much, much worse in Ecuador. A 7.8 magnitude earthquake hit on Saturday evening. Right now, the death toll is up to around 350 killed. Almost 3,000 or nearly 3,000 are injured. Um, and, and one of the interesting things was that the, the president of Ecuador said that this is going to be a serious economic hit to the country because their revenues had already started to crash due to the slump in oil prices. Uh. So this is going to cost their economy billions of dollars, and they're still digging out people right now. So there is some hope that they'll find more survivors. Now, in Japan, there were two back-to-back earthquakes centered in the same area, uh, Mashiki, Japan. Uh, one was a 6.2, the other was a 7. Uh, they struck on sa- on Friday, the day before the Ecuador earthquake, mm. which brought a lot of people out on Twitter asking, hey, are these related? They're on the, the ring, of, the fire ring of fire around right. the Pacific. Yeah. But whenever you have a question about earthquakes, go look up Dr. Lucy Jones. She's just retired from the U.S. Geological Sounds Survey. Sounds like a fake name, Dr. Lucy Jones. It does, Lucy but Jones. she is not. She's oh, wonderful. Okay. Uh, she is the earthquake lady here in Southern California who always comes on the news to explain what's going on. She said the two quakes aren't, the two different areas are not related. Uh, they're more than 9,000 miles apart and that there is evidence that earthquakes can trigger other earthquakes in a region, but they have to be within 1,000 miles of each other. I mean, within a, a, a yeah, 1,000 miles of each other to have that kind of effect. So this ring of fire, though the, it, it rings the uh, the Pacific Ocean there, they're not really related? They're not the same fault lines, Correct. in other words? Correct. Okay. And you mentioned in Ecuador that they were already facing problems due to the drop in oil prices. Right. Those uh, oil prices continue to plummet. That was the other piece of news uh, out of uh, Doha. Right. In Doha, Qatar, there was a meeting of all of the major oil exporters, both non, non-OPEC countries and OPEC countries, they were going to meet to discuss the possibility of a freeze in production. This had been an idea that had been floated back in February, and Saudi Arabia said, okay, we'll think about a freeze in production if Iran comes along. And then they said, well, okay, maybe we'll think about it if Iran doesn't come along. Well, they came to this meeting on Saturday in Doha, Qatar, and Iran said they're not coming along. So Saudi Arabia said, nope, we're not going to do it. So this was uh, so basically they wanted to freeze production, these these uh, nations uh, right. to, to help with the the plummeting price of oil. Right, right? There's a huge glut, glut. of oil yeah. right now. So much oil in storage that isn't even being sent anywhere yet. And they were hoping to constrict supply, which would raise the price. So it's the uh, it's the OPEC nations. It's Russia. It's uh, Venezuela, Venezuela, Saudi Arabia. Uh, Iran and you so you say Saudi Arabia wasn't going to go ahead with it. They're the ones who are continuing production, yes. Uh, no matter how it is affecting, no matter how it is making the prices plunge, Saudi Arabia said we will consider it if Iran comes along. And Iran just had their sanctions lifted. They are not interested in not bringing in any money right now. And they then, are interested in making money as fast as possible, so they refuse to go along with the freeze in production. And so then they had said for a while, okay, maybe we'll do it even without Iran. Now over the weekend, everything fell apart right and uh, they're not going along with it and uh, the price of uh, oil then continues to plummet it actually uh, hit the uh, the Nikkei the, the Japanese stock market big time they uh, they closed something like three and a half percent down however it doesn't appear to have affected uh, the US stock the US market. at all yeah nope. they closed uh, the Dow Jones closed above 18,000 on Monday for the first time, I think, since uh, July or so of last year. So uh, some very interesting developments. Thank you for those uh, worldwide updates, there Desi Doyen. Uh, okay, meantime, back in this country, 
Uh, back to presidential politics. Uh, the um, well, it was Wyoming once again over the weekend where there was uh, a nominating contest. It wasn't a caucus. It wasn't a primary. This was actually another convention. Um, and uh, Ted Cruz won all 14, 14 of 14 Republican National Convention delegates that were up for grabs over the weekend in Wyoming uh, at the state convention out there. Uh, CNN reports the crowd was clearly in Ted Cruz's corner. Uh, the Texas senator was the only candidate to make a trip to uh, to Casper, Wyoming, ahead of the, uh, uh, the convention on Saturday and ahead of apparently a major snowstorm. Uh, Sarah Palin was scheduled to speak uh, on Donald Trump's behalf. But guess what? She canceled. Really? Because that's what she does. <laughs> she She's quit? a quitter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so 12 members of uh, Ted Cruz's slate won. Uh, they are bound to uh, Cruz on the first ballot in uh, in July in Cleveland at the Republican convention. They have also made a non-binding pledge to stick with him as long as uh, as long as they can, as long as things go in Cleveland, where there could be multiple uh, uh, ballots in a contested convention. Meanwhile, Donald Trump spent the day in New York uh, and uh, twice on Saturday before uh, before the vote out there in Wyoming. He decried the convention process that was used out in Wyoming uh, and, and the week before in Colorado, where he also lost. I think in that case, it was something like 34 out of 34 delegates. Trump decried it, said the system is rigged. And uh, you know what? I guess you can argue that it's rigged, but uh, Donald Trump has made a lot of money on rigged systems. He has admitted as much. He has said that's why he gives to both Republicans and Democrats back in the day as a businessman, because uh, they will rig the system for him. So he knows what the rules are. He just doesn't like being outmaneuvered. And he has been outmaneuvered, and he is failing, in, at least in these delegate contests against uh, 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 Ted Cruz, which brings up the question of, uh, you know, how, how well Donald Trump, you know, might know the rules for being president of the United States. But he said he'll have the best people. You don't need to worry about it. Well, apparently he should have hired the best people when it came to winning these delegates at these conventions. Uh, with Saturday's sweep now, Ted Cruz can count on uh, 24 of the 29 delegates from the state. Uh, you, you may recall that uh, Cruz had scored nine of 12 available delegates uh, at, at county conventions last month. And so uh, this is ongoing. And uh, Donald Trump seems to be doing very poorly in that, in that setting. But he's doing much better when it comes to primaries. Uh, way out ahead of the pack, according to the pre-election polls in New York, in the New York primary there. In the meantime, uh, I saw some concerns over the past few days coming out of New York. I saw a headline um, over at Booman Tribune, which is a, a, a great blog, actually, it's been around for years, uh, that they were concerned that uh, New York had cut voting hours by by six hours. And this uh, comes in the wake of, of the problems that happened in uh, Arizona a few weeks ago when they shut down, when they went from something like 200 polling places back in the 2012 primary down to just 60. That led to huge, long lines all over Phoenix. Um, and so here they go again in New York, cutting voting hours by six, uh, cutting voting hours by some six hours. They won't be opening until noon in many counties. At least that was the report. 
which I have since looked into and found out, well, actually, yes, uh, many counties around the state will not be opening until noon uh, for voting in the presidential primary. Uh, But they will stay open until 9 p.m. But that is nothing new. Apparently, that's been going on forever, kind of, in New York. I I contacted Virginia Martin. She is the... uh, the Democratic commissioner, uh, they, they have uh, an election board up in the Columbia County Board of Elections. They have both a Democratic and a Republican commissioner. They have co-commissioners up there. And Virginia Martin, she's been on this show before, along with her Republican counterpart, as a matter of fact, uh, to talk about the fact that they are in, uh, in New York, the only county that actually hand counts paper ballots, hand counts all of the ballots before she will before she and her Republican counterpart will certify an election. Uh, She's really, she's one of the best uh, uh, election officials that I've come across uh, in the nation. Um, And so I went to her with this question to ask you, why is voting not beginning until noon in Columbia County? I had verified that, in fact, in Columbia, that was one of the counties where they won't start until noon. And the bulk of other non New York City adjacent counties in New York City and uh, the counties right around it. They start those polls open, I believe, at 6 a.m. But in all of the other counties around the state, they don't start until noon. Uh, Virginia Martin writes back to confirm that, in fact, uh, they aren't going to start until noon. Uh, However, she says that uh, this is due to election law, that election law states, with the exception of New York City and environs, uh, and Erie County, which is Buffalo, all primaries in all other counties begin at noon. She says it has been that way as long as I can remember. And someone said since the beginning of the 20th century, it has been this way. But she said she had not confirmed that. And in fact, if you look at the law, uh, the election code, what is this? Uh, subsection 8-100, uh, subsection 2, it says polls shall be open for voting during the following hours. A primary election from 12 o'clock noon until 9 o'clock in the evening, except in the city of New York and the counties of Nassau, Suffolk, Westchester, Rockland, Orange, Putnam and Erie. And in such city or county from 6 o'clock in the morning until nine o'clock in the evening. So it's just for primaries. That's it. Yeah, it's just for primaries. Interesting. Uh, that's right. And it has been that way for a long time. So I know a lot of Bernie Sanders folks were out there were very concerned about this, saying that, uh, oh, here we go again. It's a uh, scheme to somehow hurt uh, Bernie Sanders or hurt uh, turnout. Uh, apparently it is not. That said, I am still quite worried uh, <laughs> about uh, the turnout that uh, could happen. Uh, and people not being able to go before work. I think we might see really long lines. We'll see. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, but we could see those really long lines uh, later in the day and at the close of polls. At the same time, so I'm concerned about that, even though it's been uh, ongoing for uh, quite a while. Uh, there is also some concerns uh, about some New Yorkers who say that their party affiliation has mysteriously uh, been switched from Democratic to uh, no party uh, stated. 
and they don't understand why, and they're filing, filing suit because, in fact, these are closed primaries in New York. You have to be registered as a Democrat to vote in the Democratic primary. You have to be registered as Republican to vote in the Republican primary. Now, New York has a ridiculously long deadline for uh, registering and, and for changing your party affiliation. If you were not registered as a Democrat by October 9 of last year, October 9 of last year, you will be unable to vote uh, in the primary in New York on Tuesday. That's seven months. I know. Seven you months. had to know seven months in advance which yep. party you wished to participate yep. in that primary. That's right. And if you had no party affiliation, well, you are out of luck. Uh, a lawsuit is now was uh, filed on Monday by a group named the Election Justice USA. They are trying to uh, change this at the very last minute. I can't imagine they will be successful, but they are trying at the very last minute to turn the uh, the New York primary into an open race. Many of these people are, uh, are Bernie Sanders supporters. Uh, they say that uh, the closed primary and that long registration deadline is going to hurt Bernie Sanders because, in fact, you have a lot of uh, independents who might have otherwise voted for him, people who are not registered as a Democrat. And they claim that, in fact, uh, Democrats have been somehow mysteriously uh, seen their party affiliation change. They uh, uh, one point uh, one of these voters that is cited in I think Progress's article on this is Westchester County voter Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who uh, seeing what had happened in uh, Maricopa County, Phoenix, Arizona, a few weeks ago, uh, when a lot of people there also reported having their uh, party affiliation changed and, and being surprised about it when they showed up to vote. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez went out and checked and found that uh, she, in fact, uh, had been registered as a Democrat, she said, since 2008, but her party ha affiliation had been changed to unaffiliated. She was later told by her local board of elections that her party affiliation was changed during Hurricane Sandy. Uh, this was the uh, the storm that hit just before Election Day on 2012, and there was an emergency me measure where uh, the governor, uh, Andrew Cuomo, had allowed New York residents to vote at any precinct via an affidavit ballot. But apparently, uh, when she signed that affidavit, her party affiliation somehow was waived. She said, I had no idea I was losing my party status when I did that. Had I known this was the case, I would have fixed this ages ago. But apparently for her and other voters like her, it, it might be too late. Uh, that's one of the things they are suing for in, uh, in New York. And they're saying uh, a remedy is just open it up to everyone. Oh, make it an open primary. Uh, good luck with that. Uh, in the meantime, New York State Board of Elections spokesperson Thomas Connolly said that they've gotten a lot of complaints, uh, concerns about uh, manipulation of voter registration, uh, specifically that party affiliations had been purged. But he said that in each of the complaints he's followed up on, it has been due to a mistake on the voters part. He said, I've yet to come across a voter registration that has been maliciously changed. He said there has always been some legitimate reason or another. Well, I had asked uh, Virginia Martin about this as well, since I uh, since I trust her out there in Columbia County. I wanted to get an idea of if she, too, was getting complaints and complaints and concerns about registrations suddenly being changed or disappearing altogether. 
Uh, she told me, and I'll read this quote directly. She said, we have fielded many questions and most people when shown the actual forms that they sent us and signed, which say, quote, I do not wish to enroll in a party. They then understand it and accept it. Uh, she said, uh, I think that most people don't really know how that they how they are enrolled. They may have voted for Democratic candidates in general elections for decades, but they can do that without being a party member. And so in the general election, she said, so I think this is mostly a case of they're just being unaware of their own party enrollment. She said, we have not found a single instance of anyone's enrollment having been changed inappropriately. That's what she said. Uh, that's there was one, uh, you know, she, of course, is just one uh, New York election official, one who I happen to trust. But that was her take on it, uh, along with the take from the uh, New York State Board of Elections commissioner. Make of that what you will. We'll see what happens on Tuesday. Uh, I have you know, I am concerned, but I do think a lot of people may be they may think they're registered as a Democrat and they're not. And now it's too late to really do anything about it. Uh Meanwhile, out here in California, I know I got to get to a break here, but let me do this uh, very quickly. Uh, a survey has found that tens of thousands of voters, including Demi Moore and other celebrities, have mistakenly registered as members of a conservative minor political party out here in California called the American Independent Party. These people had registered thinking they were signing up to be independent. And in fact, they were signing up with the American Independent Party which is this far right wing party uh, that was was founded to support uh, George Wallace back in uh, what was it, back in the 60s. And uh, a lot of these voters will find if they don't change their registration in time for the uh, California June 7th primary, that they won't be able to vote either in the uh, in the primary out here, even though the Democratic Party is open. If you are registered as an American Independent Party member, you can't vote in the Democratic Party. And this is something, Desi Doyen, that you ran into, as I recall, back in 2008, this very problem. Yes, it happened to me, too. And I have to say, you know, the the I looked at that card. I remember thinking, huh, I, I want to register with no party. So I, I think this is the one that I would choose. So that's what I chose. And it was like that for a long time until I showed up to the primary election in 2008 and discovered I could not vote. And I was like, <laughs> right. Oh, that's what that was. Yeah, and you have to choose. I think it's now called decline to state yeah, or it's something. Yeah, a little clearer now. And it actually might have been last time. It might have said party, and then below it, it said American independent. It didn't even say American independent party, Yeah, it wasn't party, clear enough for me, and I'm not a stupid person, but I found it difficult to understand. You are not a stupid person. I agree. <laughs> you are absolutely not stupid. Uh, all and, and apparently, you're not the only one who made this mistake. The Confusing. LA Times yeah. found that some th nearly three of four people who are members of the American Independent Party out here, this far right wing party, which has a huge membership, has almost a half a million members, three out of four members of the American Independent Party, according to this survey, have no idea they are members of the American Independent Party, that they accidentally signed up with this uh, crazy right wing party. Yep. The good news, however, is out here in California, uh, you can change your uh, registration up to, I think, 15 days before the uh, election itself. So for the June 7 presidential primary out here. California voters, you have until May 23 to change your registration to Democratic or Republican or whatever you like, or simply decline to state, which will allow you to vote in the uh, the Democratic primary. Get the hell out of that American Independent Party if you didn't even know you were in it.
Anyway, so there is that. In the meantime, there are voters uh, who know what party they are, are with, who know who they want to vote for, and yet they are still being blocked from casting their vote. We're going to take a quick break and come back on that and some news in two different states along those lines after this with my guest Ernie Canning. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so, now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going, or even just a one-time-only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com donate today. And thanks. Who are you? That, I guess, is what they're asking at the polls in places like Wisconsin and Texas and these other states that have uh, that are controlled by Republicans, where they've implemented these photo ID voting restrictions uh, in place in in many of these states for the first time this year since the Supreme Court dissolved a key section of the Voting Rights Act. Well, we've got some news, uh, some good news and some medium news we'll find out uh, concerning photo ID in uh, in two different states over the past week. Uh, and all of this is going to be very, very important, uh, not just, of course, in the primaries, but come uh, come this November in the general election. I, I've said many times how crazy it drives me that the media wait until after the problems have occurred, after Election Day, after it's too late to do anything about it, uh, to raise the uh, the issue and, and bring attention to these uh, issues to the American public. So we try to do it all year round. Um, but just to give you by way of example, uh, in Wisconsin, where they had, uh, what was it, two weeks ago now, uh, April 4, beginning of the month, uh, April 4, they had their presidential primary. And for the first time, they had their photo ID voting restriction in place for a major election. Well, it didn't go well. We talked about it on the show. We talked about the hours long lines, particularly for students in a whole bunch of areas. Um, and we have been highlighting uh, specific cases, specific individual cases that have been reported, many of them by Ari Berman. Here is just one example that is just a, another maddening example of how these photo ID restrictions keep otherwise legal voters 
who happened to, uh, you know, be guilty of uh, the crime of leaning Democratic in most cases of not being able to cast their vote. Voters who have voted in the same place for years, but just don't happen to have the new type of photo ID now required by these laws. Okay, this is um, this was reported last week by Ari Berman over at The Nation. Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker said his state's strict new voter ID requirement worked, quote, just fine in the April 5 primary, but thousands of Wisconsinites were unable to cast a ballot because of the new law. One of them was Eddie Lee Holloway Jr. Holloway, a 50-year-old African-American man, moved from Illinois to Wisconsin in 2008 and voted without problems in both states, in Illinois and Wisconsin, Uh, Not at the same time, but one after the other until Wisconsin passed its voter ID law back in 2011. I never miss voting, Holloway said. He brought his expired Illinois photo ID, a birth certificate, a Social Security card to the Wisconsin DMV in order to get a photo ID for voting under the new law. But the DMV in Milwaukee rejected his application because the name on his birth certificate read Eddie Jr. Holloway, which was the result of a clerical error when it was issued. His name is actually Eddie Lee Holloway Jr., but that was not good enough for the Wisconsin DMV to issue him a photo ID that was good for voting. Holloway, who worked as a cook in Illinois but is now unemployed and disabled, living with his family in Milwaukee, got a ride downtown to the vital record system to try to fix his birth certificate in order to get his ID in order to vote under this new law. Vital Records said it was going to cost him between $400 and $600 to correct that birth certificate, which Holloway could not afford. So he then called the Illinois Vital Records decision uh, uh, d- Division, And they told him he had to personally come to Springfield, Illinois, the state capital, to amend his birth certificate. So Holloway bought a $180 round-trip bus ticket, traveled four hours back to his home state. And then in Springfield, the division said it needed a copy of his high school and vaccination records. Yeah, I know. Holloway then went to his hometown of Decatur to get his school records. He paid $20 to a friend for the gas money. And then he returned to Springfield to the Vital Records Division, but they said that it needed his full Social Security statement, which he did not have. He also visited the Illinois DMV. He had no luck there either. He left Illinois without getting the documents he needed to vote in Wisconsin. Meanwhile, back in Milwaukee, Holloway got two copies of his Social Security statement, which was needed by the Illinois Vital Records Division, and he asked if he could email or fax that to him to them. They said he'd have to appear in person again. But Holloway didn't have the money to make another trip to Illinois, and he gave up trying to get a voter ID. He had spent $200, visited two states, and made seven trips to different public institutions, but still could not vote in Wisconsin. Other than that, Governor Scott Walker, yeah, your photo ID requirement worked great. Well, we've got what 
I'm going to go with uh, calling good news here out of Wisconsin, uh, given uh, how little good news there is on this front lately. Uh, And here to talk about it is Bradblog.com's legal analyst. He's been uh, covering these issues of uh, photo ID law and the court battles around them for years and years. Ernie Canning is a Ernest A. Canning is a retired attorney. He's an author. He's a Vietnam vet, and he is currently serving as a senior advisor to veterans for Bernie vetsforbernie.org so we haven't seen Ernie around bradblog.com much but he came out of uh, <laughs> hibernation uh, to cover what, a couple of these cases that have had some uh, movement in both Wisconsin and Texas Ernie Canning welcome back to the broadcast my friend thank you Brad all right so the Wisconsin Republican photo ID law and let me know if I'm if I'm missing anything important or getting anything wrong it was passed back in 2011 but it's been uh, mostly held up not implemented uh, thanks to court battles over it until it was used for the first time in a major election earlier this month and uh, if I recall correctly that law passed by those re- Republicans was rejected a whole bunch of times by both state court as a violation of the state's constitution, then by a federal judge uh, who, after a full trial, found that the law violated both the Voting Rights Act, uh, the part that is still standing that the Supreme Court didn't gut, Section 2, as well as the U.S. Constitution. Correct? It was found time and time again to be unlawful. With one exception that that's accurate, Brad, um, the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which is probably one of the most partisan uh, divides of any uh, state court in the the country, Mm -hmm. uh, they upheld the law, but what happened was at the time they upheld the law, um, in a a sharply divided opinion, um, at the time they upheld the law, um, there was a preliminary injunction in effect that barred... um, Scott Walker and, and the Republicans mm-hmm. from, from enforcing it. Then what happened, there was a full-blown t- uh, trial in front of uh, Judge Lynn Edelman, and uh, he... Uh, and and just, to uh, be, just to be clear, Ernie, that when the Super- Wisconsin Supreme Court, uh, when they upheld the law, that was in the state challenge to the law right. under the state constitution, uh, where the judges had found that it violated Wisconsin state const- uh, constitution, and then the state Supreme Court said, no, no, it's fine. Uh, the right-wing court, uh, the state Supreme Court in Wisconsin, and then the trial happened in the federal court, as you mentioned, under Lynn Edelman, right? That's correct, and and the federal judge ended up, after a full trial on the merits, concluding that the law violated Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act and the U.S. Constitution. Uh, approximately uh, 300,000 Wisconsin voters, which is about 10% of the Badger State's electorate, mm-hmm. uh, may have been disenfranchised in that April 5 uh, primary election you talked about. it, And disproportionately, they were African-American, Hispanic, and the poor. And uh, uh, there were a whole series of reasons why people, as you've indicated, had problems mm-hmm. getting these. And after he had uh, enjoined it, the state appealed and you had a panel decision by a judge by the name of uh, Frank uh, Easterbrook, who's a mm-hmm. uh, Federalist Society uh, member, mm-hmm. which is a, an extreme right-wing society. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, one law professor uh, calls them radicals in robes. And uh, he wrote a, an atrocious decision that uh, came, came up with all kinds of weird reasons for, for sustaining this. And then what happened was 
because they were forced to go back with the people that couldn't get IDs, they either was impossible or extremely difficult, as in the case of Holloway, uh, they went back, uh, when the case came back down, and they tried to uh, uh, litigate both that issue and the issue of veterans' IDs. And I might point out that in, in the middle of that, because uh, the Republicans had held up the um, uh, appointments to mm-hmm. the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeal, there was an even split in the full in-bank panel. Five jurists led by uh, the guy who wrote the original decision that, that ended up being held, upheld by uh, the Supreme Court Crawford versus Marion County, ah. Judge Posner, had had demolished the arguments in favor of photo ID. Well, hang on, and let, and let me just, because you're getting a little bit ahead, Ernie, so sure. let me make this clear. So the federal judge, Lynn Edelman, he finds that this uh, law, this Wisconsin law, is illegal uh, under the uh, Voting Rights Act. It's a violation of the U.S. Constitution. Right. And then, and and that, well, should be that, except then uh, Scott Walker and, and the, the state Republicans, they go to the appellate court. The appellate court under Easterbrook overturns. The lower court, the lower court judge Edelman, who who had a trial on all of this stuff, who looked at all of the facts. I think the trial went on for several weeks. And then Easterbrook comes back and he says, no, the trial court was wrong. The uh, the law is just fine. And you mentioned, Ernie, some of the ridiculous reasons that he gave. One of them I remember writing about at Brad blog because it infuriated me was uh, Easterbrook said, well, you need a photo ID to get on a plane and all of these other things. So uh, why not uh, for Voting, and of course, I had to point out once again, despite the the fact that this keeps coming up over and over again. No, you do not need a photo ID to board a plane. They'll ask you for one. It'll help you get on that plane uh, sooner. But uh, the TSA has all kinds of other things they will do if you don't have a photo ID. These commercial airlines are not about to turn away 30 million potential customers because that is what we're talking about, about 30 million Americans who don't have uh, the type of photo ID that would be required uh, under these laws or that is asked for to board a plane, etc. So that court, Easterbrook of the Seventh Circuit, got it totally wrong. And yet... He succeeded in uh, in in saying, well, this thing is illegal. And when it was challenged by the entire Seventh Circuit, they ended up tying. Right. And so therefore five, 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 and therefore the decision of that initial panel that Easterbrook was on that stands. That means the law is overturned. I'm sorry, the, the ruling is overturned. The photo ID law can move forward, and in fact it has, and it was used on April 5th. And then the ACLU went back to the court to challenge at least those two parts that you mentioned. So what were those two parts that they were challenging again? The plaintiffs in this case really had no choice but to say, you know, we really didn't litigate the issue of the uh, VA IDs. And, mm-hmm. and by the way, you know, people may not be aware of it. You've got a picture, in fact, on the, uh, I think one gentleman has a, VA ID that mm-hmm. uh, it's a picture ID, it's a photo ID, but Wisconsin wasn't accepting photo IDs from the uh, Veterans Administration. From veterans, so you yeah. walk in there with a VA with your photo on it, with your name on it, and that still was not good enough for voting in uh, in Wisconsin. So, well, and here's the critical thing, yeah. and, and I, I, it can't be stressed every time you deal with one of these cases. Uh, at the, the trial judge, uh, Judge Adelman, said that the, the evidence at trial established that virtually no voter impersonation occurs in Wisconsin. The defendants could not 
point to a single instance of known voter impersonation in Wisconsin at any time in the recent past. Now, that's uh, the only form of uh, voter fraud that can be pre- uh, prevented by photo ID. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a phantom menace. And then Posner, who had wrote the original opinion that was upheld by the Supreme Court in the Crawford case, says, you know, this, the, the, Wisconsin's very different from Indiana. And he said that there's... Uh, that uh, voter fraud is simply a mere fig leaf for efforts to disenfranchise voters likely to vote for the political party that does not control the state government. The judge that originally approved the first photo ID case back in Indiana now says, no, right. I was wrong. This thing is a bunch of nonsense. This is only meant to keep uh, voters from voting. And he's a Reagan Republican, a Reagan uh, appointee. Uh, he is, but he's, yeah. very, he's also a very respected uh, jurist. Uh, he's sure. written probably more legal opinions in this area than any other judge on the bench. Uh, so he was always respected. So we were disappointed when the Supreme Court didn't uh, come down on this. The interesting thing is that when Easterbrook, you know, there was no evidence of photo ID, he said, well, the legislature established uh, voter fraud as a legislative fact. And I, I just have to read this one little excerpt from, from uh, mm-hmm. Posner's decision. He says, as there is no evidence of voter impersonation is a problem, How can the fact that the legislature says it's a problem turn it into one? If the Wisconsin legislature says witches are a problem, shall Wisconsin courts be permitted to conduct witch trials? Exactly. It was basically Easterbrook was saying, well, there may or may not be evidence of uh, photo ID, of of, of voter impersonation fraud, but if the state legislature believes it, that's good enough. They can make the laws that they want to make. That's essentially what he was saying. Okay, uh, we're, we're running short on time, Ernie. So the uh, ACLU goes to court. They challenge uh, two provisions. Uh, A, the idea that uh, you can't use a veteran. They say, please, at least let us use a VA card. Uh, and, uh, and, and is that now allowed be- even before it they is, made it? It is, but it wasn't because of this case. What happened was, um, you know, veterans had been precluded from mm-hmm. voting. And then um, one of the Supreme Court justices, she is actually one of the more progressive justices, her um, uncle was a um, uh, uh, Iwo Jima combat veteran, 90 years old. He'd been voting all of his life. This is what he fought and his fellow uh, soldiers died to protect. And they would not let him vote in the February Wisconsin Supreme Court primary. Wow. So she writes to Scott Walker, and, she, and uh, all of a sudden the Republicans go, ooh, I guess uh, maybe we should allow veterans to do this. So the state rapidly passed that by March 16, so that in this last election, veterans were able to vote. But people who have been unduly, it's, it's, uh, they can't get a, a photo ID without undue uh, mm-hmm. burden, uh, couldn't vote in the last election. Well, now Easterbrook's telling us, well, those people should be able to cast a provisional ballot. And you know all the problems with that. Well, I do, but at the, least that's a, that's an improvement. And and this was so guys like uh, the one I mentioned at the top of the uh, segment here, Eddie Lee Holloway, who went through all of that effort, went to two different states, spent two hundred dollars. Uh, they're talking about people like him 
who have made an effort, they can now sign an affidavit that says, I tried, I couldn't for good reason, I was not able to get an ID, please let me vote anyway. Well, that right? seems to be the remedy that the court is suggesting to Judge Adelman when the case goes back down to him. I think he's going to come up with something like that. Well, I would hope so. If the Easterbrook, the guy who, who allowed this thing to move forward in the first place, looks at it and he says, no, we got a problem here. We have to allow for people who have made a good faith effort, at least, to try to get an ID to be able to vote. Uh, so that seems to be where we are now. The appellate court has uh, has sent this back down to Edelman, uh, correct, and said, go uh, re- look at this evidence again and come up with a solution, come up with a remedy uh, for, for people like Holloway uh, this November? That's basically it. And, and then, of course, the, the, um, because the legislature and the governor signed into a new law in, in, on March uh, 16, uh, veterans can use their, their photo ID, VA photo ID, to, to vote. So with 300,000 already uh, registered voters unable to vote in Wisconsin, maybe, just maybe, this ruling finally coming back from the Supreme Court last, uh, not Supreme Court, uh, the appellate court uh, up there in Wisconsin, that might be finally some good news for these hundreds of thousands of voters in Wisconsin. Uh, this November. Meanwhile, down in Texas, the lower courts also found time and time again, including a full uh, U.S. federal court after a long trial, that Texas's law was in violation uh, of the uh, uh, of the uh, U.S. Constitution as well as uh, the Voting Rights Act. That law was appealed by the state of Texas and was not overturned. In fact. The law, the photo ID law in Texas, was found to be illegal. And yet, Ernie Canning, it was still allowed to be used in this past uh, primary election in Texas a few weeks back. And uh, right now, it's on target to be used again this November, even though the courts have all found it to be illegal. How can that be? Well, here's, here's the sequence. In 2012, we still had um, a Section 5, and you had to have either approval of a three-judge district court panel in, um, uh, in Washington, D.C., or the uh, DOJ. Well, the DOJ and both, um, uh, uh, and, and all three of the judges on the, uh, on the uh, district court panel unanimously found that this law violated the Voting Rights Act, and that mm-hmm. it was... Uh, some of the, some of the, the you talk about burdens. Can you imagine if you're poor and you don't own a car and you have to travel between 200 and 250 miles round trip to the nearest uh, Department of Public Transportation to get a photo ID and lose time from work to do that? That's the kind of burden that this particular photo ID statute, because Texas is so big, mm-hmm. uh, has has imposed on its voters. In, in where there was something like 300,000 disenfranchised in. Um, in in uh, Wisconsin, it's 608,000 in Texas uh, so, who, who lack these IDs. So it was rejected under Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. Then the Supreme Court does away with uh, Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, right. but the case goes to trial and it still loses. And I'm, I'm running short on time, Ernie, so I want to get to how... How is it that it loses at the U.S. District Court, the thing is struck down, the appeals court uh, agrees that it should be struck down, and yet the law is still allowed to be in place as it is that's, now? That's the, the $64,000 question. The, the, the first time, because the decision came down so close to the 2014 election, the only reason for staying the permanent injunction 
was because uh, it was too close to the election. And then what happens is the case continues to litigate. The the three-judge panel of the Fifth Circuit finds that it does violate Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. In fact, the the trial judge had found that it was deliberately intended to discriminate in, in order to fend off demographic changes that will make the white majority the white minority in Texas. And uh, so, so, so they the, tried to get it back down. They tried to get it stall, uh, to get it taken off, and nothing was done for six months. Uh, even after they won at the uh, at the Fifth Circuit panel level, uh-huh. there was a Texas uh, uh, petition pending before the full uh, 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 Fifth Circuit uh, for a rehearing, and there were uh, uh, petitions filed by the plaintiffs in the case, including the DOJ to try and uh, lift the stay so that this wouldn't again uh, be, because the original so the stay, the stay was, was too close. So the stay that you're talking about in this case, this is the state of Texas going in and saying, yes, we know the courts found it to be illegal, but we want to put a stay on killing this law until we can have our day in court to appeal it and so forth, right? So right. In other is that why it's... Yeah, and the stay is supposed to only be okay. granted a, a, in an appellate case if uh, if the party seeking the stay would be irreparably harmed. What possible harm could flow to Texas to continue to allow voters to vote in the same manner they had done for the past 200 years, uh, um, you know, and then a, until this photo ID law was put into place, by allowing the, by lifting yeah. the stay and allowing them to make, present their arguments. And what they've done, the Fifth Circuit has has basically done nothing until after 608,000 voters were disenfranchised in the recent uh, primary. Mm-hmm. Then they, they granted the petition for a rehearing. The, uh, they uh, also the, waited until Scalia died, Ernie. Th- well, that, that, was, just, that was just the timing of it. I don't yeah. know if the, if the two are connected. But, uh, well, uh, I, think yeah. it, I think it was because they, they had uh, asked for a hearing on this six months ago, and the appellate court, the Fifth Circuit, did absolutely nothing. And then uh, all of a sudden, rather than allowing plaintiffs to go to the uh, uh, Supreme Court where there would be a tie, which would mean that the good guys win this one, all of a sudden the Fifth Circuit, which is one of the most conservative in the country, jumps in and says, okay, yeah, we'll hear the case after all, because I don't think they wanted to, you know, I, I think they want to knock it down at the at the circuit court before it gets up to the Supreme Court. Um, well, that's why the plaintiffs have yeah. filed an emergency application to lift the stay with the Supreme Court, and that's where we're at right now. And when does that decision come down? We don't know. There was, uh, you know, Rick Asson, the Irvine law professor, election law professor, had speculated that they might come down with something today, but nothing came down, so we don't know. The closer it gets in time to uh, ruling on this issue to mm-hmm. the next election, the more likely that the Purcell principle will be in play again and that people will be disenfranchised. And this the, is per, the, the, per, the, per, the Purcell principle being that the Supreme Court says uh, don't change anything at the last minute. And so leave it, leave it in place, leave it with people being disenfranchised, even though we know it's an illegal law. Uh, that's the concern if the Supreme Court doesn't act somehow quickly on this. Well, and that's the, yeah. the one that I wrote uh, um, when we, when yeah. you and I had actually published an article at this one, the Supreme Court had the divided opinion, and uh, I said to permit Texas to continue to knowingly enforce a statute that violates Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act 
would amount to nothing less than the encouragement of a lawless action to the detriment of the very rights which the Voting Rights Act was enacted to protect. And that is exactly what they are allowing to happen right now, anyway, at the Supreme Court, unless they take action quickly. Check out Ernie's uh, article on this. Absent court intervention, 608,000 registered Texas voters face unlawful disenfranchisement again. That's on the Texas case. Uh, And then with the good news, we'll call it good news, uh, with the U.S. Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals ordering some fixes, at least, to that Wisconsin photo ID voting restriction. Uh, Ernie, thank you very much. I I hope your cold gets better soon. Until then, uh, you can read him at bradblog.com and uh, check out his work over at vetsforbernie.org and over at laprogressive.org, where he's writing quite a bit. Uh, And, of course, on the Twitters at uh, can. The number four, I-N-G. Why it's like that, I have no idea. But anyway, uh, thanks, Ernie. Great talking to you, my friend. Really appreciate it. Take care, Brad. All right, take care. All right, a quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. (sighs) Maddening. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Your Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com here. Uh, Bill Maher uh, spoke about uh, the fight over Hillary Clinton's uh, response at the debate last week, the Democratic debate in in Brooklyn, uh, when Bernie had uh, continued to demand that she release the transcripts to her speeches that she gave her paid speeches that she gave to to Goldman Sachs and these other big banks and corporations for which she received about what was it about $250,000 for each of these speeches she received millions of dollars in all for these Bernie Sanders has says well these must be remarkably fantastic speeches if they're uh, you know willing to pay you $250,000 they must want something they must want your fantastic speeches. So let's hear them. Let's see the uh, let's read the transcripts. Well, she is continues to refuse to release these transcripts. I think this is going to cause problems for her if she becomes the nominee. It's going to cause problems for her in the general election. But her response has now been to demand that Bernie Sanders release his tax returns. Because she has already done so. Now, apparently, Bernie released uh, one I, I last think, year, from last year's 2015 yes. or 2014 um, over the weekend. Hasn't released the rest. She says she's released about 30 years worth. Uh, don't know what she's expected to find in them. I agree. Bernie Sanders should release them. Uh, and that, frankly, he should have already. Uh, that said, uh, it raises an interesting point. But before I get to that, uh, Bill Maher over the weekend on Real Time and Bernie and his tax returns. Her big thing now is Bernie's got to release his tax returns. Really? What does she think Bernie is hiding? He owns two suits and a 93 Buick Regal. That's... <laughs> kind of. I mean, you know, like Bernie, that's one thing, but you can't say he's not the most authentic guy who's ever run for president. He always looks to me like a guy who works in a little office where the roof leaks. <laughs> Even if he got to be president, he'd always be looking on his desk for something, you know. It'd be a half an egg salad sandwich. And a cat. <laughs> Sounds right. 
The queen would come for a state visit. He'd have to move boxes off the couch so she'd have a place to sit. Well, make yourself comfortable, darling. I... And would you like half an egg salad sandwich? I... Yeah, that, that sounds about right. That was Bill Maher over the weekend. That said, and I needed a laugh today. So that said, uh, at the same time that, you know, an issue that hasn't really that we haven't uh, talked about on this program is that when uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, was calling on her to release these uh, to, you know, to explain why, you know, all of these millions of dollars that she's getting from these big banks and Hillary in response is saying, well, prove to me, show any decision that I ever made that f favored the banks. Uh, you know, that you can say is due to all of this money that uh, that they gave me. Well, Bernie wasn't able to answer that question immediately during the debate when it came up. Hey, well, you know, what has she done? Uh, he has since. He says that her work on the, the bankruptcy bill, her, uh, her vote in favor of that. Uh, but underscoring all of this is the fact that uh, essentially what Hillary Clinton is saying here kind of undermines the argument that has been made by Democrats against Citizens United. Basically, what she's saying is, look, I've got, yes, I've been given millions and millions of dollars from, from these banks, from these corporations, for these lobbyists, but they haven't gotten anything in return for it. Which, you know, the argument against Citizens United is essentially that, you know, we need to get money out of politics because it poisons uh, you know, these candidates, at least even the the appearance of impropriety. But Hillary is saying, no, there's no impropriety here. I can receive millions of dollars and it's just fine. You don't need to be worried about it. Well, this completely undercuts the entire Democratic uh, Party's argument against Citizens United, it seems to me. Uh, Gaius Publius on uh, Twitter pointed that out. Uh, he said, uh, looks like Clinton just threw away the argument against Citizens United. Uh, David Sirota said that uh, uh, Dems, in short, are saying that money has no bad influence on politics. So we must overturn Citizens United to reduce money's bad influence on politics. Yeah, that's a little self-contradictory. You think? Uh, and, and that's a problem. And that's a problem for Democrats. That's a problem for Democrats if they ever want to get uh, to somehow overturn Citizens United how can they move forward if Hillary gets the nomination, if Hillary becomes president? How can they move forward and make the case that we need to get money out of politics when Hillary Clinton has just spent all of these months during the uh, during the primary election and then theoretically during the general saying, yes, I have been given millions and millions of dollars from these companies, but it doesn't affect me at all. Uh, nothing to worry about. I've never done anything for them. So how can you overturn Citizens United under that uh, under that argument? And I think it is a very good point. All right. Uh, one more clip here before we get out of here. Uh, Bill Maher also criticized Republicans who we haven't talked about much today. Yay. And the fact that many of them, uh, many of those Republicans are now saying they're not going to go to the convention at all this summer in Cleveland. It could get messy and they might uh, they just might, might look not bad. Wanna, yeah, they don't want to be there. Now, on the Republican side, oh, my gosh, Donald Trump is in a big, giant fight with the RNC chairman. Donald Trump is saying they're stealing the nomination from me. It's so interesting. Republicans in Congress are being advised by their leadership to skip the convention. Wow. You know things are bad for Republicans when Republicans are telling other Republicans, stay away from Republicans. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. That's how bad it's gotten, and I think it's going to get a whole lot worse. All right, we'll be back with you tomorrow to discuss about uh, how it's getting worse. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to my guest today, Ernest A. Kenning, legal advisor over at bradblog.com, and my thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download them anytime for free at bradblog.com or over at iTunes, where I hope you'll give us a good review and make it easier for other folks to find the uh, the Bradcast. You can send me email on bradcast at bradblog.com, and I'm on the Twitters at thebradblog. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey,